I was a latecomer to Christ in life. So I, I kind of came and found Christ and spent some time understanding who he was in, at the beginning of my last two years of high school. And then really, I kind of say my story is, is right out of high school is when I really started to understand it and it started to sink in and I really started to believe it and, and, and do that. But when I was out of high school, I, was, I worked at a, a, a sales position with a, a bunch of different people. But one of my friends, Eric, uh, moved up from Vegas from there and I was new to my faith and I was kind of zealous and I was meeting with some guys and they were talking about like, hey, this is, you know, you got you to bring friends to church, you got to do all those things. And so I was like just bent on, I am going to get my friend Eric to church. Like this dude is going to come to church, he's going he's gonna to be saved and it's going to be this miraculous story and it's going to be like, ah, oh, yes, it was awesome. And so I was really excited and I um, started talking to Eric a lot about church and he knew what I did and I was, I was kind of all in, like I, I was going to church all the time. I was, I was helping in a youth group, and I was doing all kinds of things that I possibly could, and I talked about it all the time, and to me, it was like church was it, and this is where we're going, and I, I had an understanding of it. I, I kind of knew what I was about, and so I was, I was going to evangelize my, my first person, and this is going to happen. I'm going to save Eric, and it's going to be awesome, and so I, I spent some time talking to Eric about church and doing some things and, and chatting with him, and he always, he was, he was very, very, very opposed to church and, and Christianity and very opposed to God. He, he had some really horrific upbringing and some stories with, with his, his death and his mom and some of those other things where he's just like, I am tired of the church. He's super, super intelligent. But anyways, I, I started telling him like, you got to come, you got to come, like you should do this someday. And I would kind of do the, I'm confident, but I'm not really confident, you know, invites or you're like, you just kind of, you know, it'd be fun to do tomorrow. What you doing tomorrow? He's like, oh, you know, I don't know. Well, you know, there's, I, I'm doing something. You should check it out. You know, I was kind of timid in it. And so finally, my friend's like, you've got to be bold, Brent. Like, if you believe in this, you've got to be bold. I mean, you come out, you just be bold with Eric. And, and you just, you invite him and you own it. And so it's like, all right, well, this is it. Tomorrow's going to be the day. I'll wait for a slow spot. You know, I'll, I'll set the mood. I'm just kidding. It wasn't that kind of thing. Anyways, um, and so, so I'm like, I'll get it all ready and I'll, I'll pave the way to this. This is going to happen. It's going to be awesome. And, and we're going to celebrate. We're going to be like high-fiving each other. And it's, it's going to be so cool. And so I come up to Eric. I'm like, hey, Eric. So, you know, I, I go to church. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I'm like, yeah, well, um, anyways, I think that this weekend you should go to church with me. I mean, it's just tomorrow. Like, I mean, you, got, you do nothing else on Sundays. Like, I mean, you, you just let's, let's go to church. Come on, buddy. He's like, he's like, Brent, I will never go to church. Like, I will never go to church. I'm like, come on, come on, dude. You, you know, we're friends. Like, just, just come for me. Like, do it for me. Like, come on, let's, let's, let's go. Like, I wasn't going to take no for an answer, right? So, like, come on, you should, you should, you should just come with me. He's like, Brent, I, I won't go to church. I will never go to church. I don't want to go to church. I don't believe in God. Like, you can do church. That's great, but I'm not going. And I was like, why, why won't you go, Eric? Come on, why won't you go? And he's like, well, because, Brent, honestly, there's a number of reasons, but the biggest one is all the hypocrites in the church. And his posture was such that he was probably getting a little feisty. So a smart person, not me, would have probably just backed off and said, okay, that was good. But I'm like, oh, come on, Eric. Name one hypocrite you know. I mean, come on, one hypocrite you know. Like, I, I dare you. You haven't been in church forever. Come on. And he just looked at me so gently, so graciously, and he just said, like, you, Brent. And I just kind of sat back for a moment. And, and again, an even smarter person would have stopped at that point, right? <laughs> but I'm not that person, right? So then I, I'm like... Oh, man. Wow. You know what? Like, I, I, mean, I mean, we all struggle, but I mean, come on, name one thing that I'm hypocritical. Like, one way in which I'm hypocritical. And he's like, Brent, I, I hear the way you talk. I know what you do with your girlfriend. I know that. And he just kind of lists off. And I just kind of get smaller and smaller and smaller. And I realize, man, he's, he's right. I'm a hypocrite. I mean, I have, 
I have the rituals down, right? I'm at Sunday, I serve, I'm there early at the prayer thing, I'm doing this with these kids, they like me, it's great, and I'm doing all this other stuff, and I, I give some money, and so it's like, man, I got this down, but realistically, I was so far from understanding God, so far from even living in a way that was, that was, that was congruent with his word. And so, so he, he pushed on me, and I, I look back, and there's, I'll tell you more of that story, I look back on that time, and I'm so, so grateful that I got to learn that lesson at like 21. So grateful that I got to learn that lesson because I, I wasn't raised in the church. And not that being raised in the church is, is bad, but, but I wasn't really steeped in a lot of rituals or ceremonies or traditions. I just kind of was new to them. And I was so glad that, that I learned in that moment, and I don't have it perfect, but at that moment that it's not what I do, it's who I am. Right? It's, not, it's, not, it's not what I do, it's what he's done for me. And, and so what I want to do with that, I want to kind of let you guys know, I, I shared that because today is a harder message because it's, it's a message that I feel like all of us struggle with it's one of those ones where I feel like uh, you could kind of read through quickly and go, wow, that's neat, and move on, and you feel a lot better about yourself. But if you sit in it for just a little bit, you kind of go, oh, I got like something has to be done with that. Like, I can't just ignore it. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 15, um, verses 1, where we are. Just, just, we've been working our way through Matthew, just to kind of to build up to that, uh, the the, the disciples just had kind of experienced Jesus walking on water and the whole Peter stepping out of the boat. And so it was this amazing experience that ultimately Jesus comes to the storm, right? He comes out to the storm to meet them where they're at. He doesn't stop the storm in the shelf. He comes to the storm and, and through that whole situation, what Jesus was doing was, was revealing himself to his disciples in a way that they hadn't experienced or seen yet. They'd seen him do all kinds of different things, but this was something so unique, so, so unique that in this moment, at the end of that text, we, we see that they say he truly is the Son of God. And so at this moment, it's no longer, man, this is a, he's a prophet or anything. It's, this is the Son of God. And so they're coming off of that experience. He does a little bit of healings between that and where we are right now. And then we're coming to where we are today in Matthew chapter 15. So that's where we'll pick up. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? And so real quickly, I want to talk about this. These Pharisees and scribes, we, we, we understand that the Pharisees and scribes, are, they're, they're, they're great at the law. They have it down. They've, they've figured it out. They spend all their life and time making sure that the law is in place. And they've, they've been a part of this kind of passed down and molding system of these extra laws that came in through the Talmud and, and the Mishnah and some other books. And these rabbis teaching extra laws on top of the laws in the Old Testament that we have. And the whole point for these laws, the whole point for these extra things were that they valued and loved the law of God so much that they didn't want to fail it. And so the motivation for all these extra, the 634 whatever extra laws that were in place was motivated out of we don't want, we want these in place so that if we ever mess up one of these, we don't cross over to messing up on God's law. We, we love it and we think it's beautiful. And so really, honestly, the Pharisees and the scribes get a bad rap and probably rightfully so. But in a lot of ways, they were right, at least in motivation. Their motivation was right. They, they desired to do what was right. But what ended up happening is these extra things became the means and the end. They didn't just become a way to help keep you in place. They became the only way to go. And they were it. And so they became more and more and more important than actually the law of God. And so what's unique about this is Jesus is, is in Judea, and he's a ways away from Jerusalem, and he's, he's spending time doing some big, big miracles. He's gaining some reputation and some, some amazing name, and people are getting excited about him. And so so much attention now that, that the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, are actually coming from Jerusalem now to see 
what he's doing. And now, just so you know, like, they're probably not coming because they're, like, excited, being like, this is him, this is it, this is great. They've already received word right now, and he's, he's had opposition from all the, the religious leaders in his area. And so the, the, I'm assuming the word that they're coming from isn't like, man, this is the Messiah, he's here. It's, hey, this is some guy that's claiming to be the Messiah. He's doing some really great things, and there's a lot of people that are starting to believe it. And so they kind of called in reinforcements. And so the, the bigwigs are headed down from Jerusalem, and they're going to come in and be like, all right, let's see what's going on. And so I don't know if you've ever had someone watch you or knew someone was watching you. Have you ever been in a situation where you knew someone was watching you, so you automatically like, suck it in, you know, or you, you kind of sit up or you feel like you need to act a different way. You know, you meet, maybe you're meeting, you're, you're dating someone, and it's like love at first sight, right? And you're going over to their parents' house, and you're like, they're going to be paying attention to everything I do, right? You're, or maybe a job interview or your first one at the place. You know people are watching you. It's scary, right? When you know someone's watching, you're like, oh, make sure I, I do this the right way. Well, these religious leaders would have, like, they wouldn't have just shown up and people been like, oh, who's that person? Like, everyone that, that, that these people have shown up, they've been like, they're here. This is them. These are the, this is the big wigs. They sent in the big guns. Like, they would have been extremely intimidating to every Jew in that area. And everyone would have known, oh, man, the, the, they're here. And so everyone would have known, like, their presence and felt their presence. And they come not to, to go, oh, Jesus, you're awesome. Like, tell us more about your word. They come to point out areas and make sure that he's keeping all the things in place. And so that's the, the, the question that comes from. He says, hey, 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 why aren't your disciples keeping, you know, why aren't, why aren't they doing the ceremonial cleanse before they eat? What's, what's going on here? They aren't, they aren't keeping the commandments of the elders, the teachings of the elders. What, what's going on? And so their question is specifically, which is a bigger question because he's asking about the disciples. So it'd be one thing if they're saying, Jesus, why didn't you, why didn't you clean your hands or do the ceremonial cleanse? It's the idea that a teacher, a rabbi, was teaching others to not do it the right way. So what they're doing is they're trying to have a bigger accusation to Jesus by going, look, at they're not doing it, so you obviously must be teaching them not to do it, which is worse than just them not doing it. And so, so the question is, why aren't they doing the ceremonial cleanse? Now, for you and I, washing your hands before eating is just good practice, right? Like, we're like, like you're not going to wash your hands, dude? Like, that's gross. You know, like, it just kind of makes sense to wash your hands before. For us, our context, it doesn't, like, what's a big deal about washing your hands? In, in their day, this, this was a massive, massive belief. It was a big part of their tradition and their ritual. It, was, it wasn't just cleaning of the hands. There was pots and cleanings, and, and the whole point was to stay clean so that they could go worship God. If they weren't clean, then they were, they were outcast from worshiping God until they did the ceremonial thing to be clean again. So they had all these extra rules and all these extra laws. And so the ceremonial cleanse was a really, really big deal. In fact, there's one, um, one old rabbi said it this way. Excuse the old English. He sinneth as much who eateth with unwashed hands as he that lieth with a harlot. You know, like the, the rabbis are teaching that day, if you don't wash your hands before you eat, that's just like sleeping with a harlot. Like that's how big of a deal these ceremonial cleanses were. They weren't just something small. And so, so by them not doing it, it's just not like, dude, that's taboo. Come on, man. You went to the bathroom. Like, wash your hands. Eat, you know, don't pick up that burger. Like, come on. Right? Like, that, it's not that. To them, it's, it's you're, you're offensive to the rituals and the traditions that we have put in place so that we can worship God. And so this is a, a big, big deal. So they're saying, why? Why aren't they doing that? That's the question. Okay? So then pick up. Um, Verse 3, he, he answers them. Jesus answers them. He doesn't, well, he doesn't really answer them, but he answers a different way. He says, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? 
For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would, get, would have gained from me is given to God, the need to not honor his father is there. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. And so he goes in and he doesn't even answer their question. He just points out what they're doing wrong, which I, 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 I always love that he does that. Um, but he, he doesn't even answer their question. They say, well, wait, you're not, whoa, whoa, the traditions aren't happening. And if you look at the words, it's really, really interesting. Jesus says a few things so clearly he said here. He says, he says, you, he says, your tradition. So he said, he says, you break the commandment of God for your tradition. So he's, he's, he's differentiating here. You got, we got the commandments of God and your tradition, right? He doesn't say, he doesn't say they're all the same. And then he says, he says, but you, you, you say for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. So your tradition is more important than the word of God. He's saying, look, you, you, guys, you guys are spending so much energy and time and effort in your tradition that your tradition is actually enabling you to break the commandments of God. This is why we're teaching out of the Bible on a weekly basis, because it's God's word, right? We're not supposed to just bring in our own traditions and start teaching our own traditions. That's where we get in trouble. We need to stay tethered to the text so that God's word can be the one that's teaching us and leading us. But he's saying, look, they've forsaken that. So what Jesus does is he takes Deuteronomy 5, a commandment that they all knew, honor your mother and your father. And he points out where their, just one way their tradition is wrong. Again, he doesn't answer the tradition of what they're talking about, the ceremonial cleanses. He doesn't even touch that one. He moves over to this, honor your father and your mother. And he says, you guys have this rule in there. You have this thing. Because again, one of the reasons for these extra laws were, what do you, what do, you do when certain aspects of God's law collide? So like when the Sabbath and doing good are in place, like which one do you go to? And so they tried to recreate all of the things that would, scenarios that would happen. So even like don't break the Sabbath, but what if someone's in need on a Sabbath? Well, they, they'd come to the, the rules, like you can't cross the threshold of your door, but they, they, they wrote in this rule, but if you extend your arms through the threshold, you don't step over there, you can actually give to that person, but then that person can only take a few steps because then they're breaking it after that. And so there were all these extra rules. And this rule that Jesus is talking about is written basically, look, you, you, they teach that when you're married, you don't have to submit to the, the, the parents anymore. You can move out of that authority, but you're still to honor them. You're still to honor them. And one of the ways you honor your parents is you take care of them financially. And what they had written into their, their law, into their rules, was, was a way out. If we designate this is the Lord's, then I don't have to give it to my parents. And so he would say, they would say, well, I'm sorry, I know my parents need this, but this land, I gave this land, it's dedicated to the Lord. But then they would continue to live on that land and take from the fruit of that land, but it's the Lord's land. So therefore, I can't give any of it to my parents. And so they were breaking God's law by using their tradition. And so Jesus doesn't, doesn't even touch the ceremonial cleanse. He just kind of, I'm not even going like, to deal with you on that one, but let me just go ahead and talk about one way your tradition's wrong and let you deal with the rest of it. Okay, so he's, he says that, and then he goes into the statement that is, is so harsh that I believe all of us need to be said, to, it needs to be said to us sooner or later. Like, I needed it at 21. I needed Eric to say it to me. I think all of us, if we get stuck in our rituals or our tradition or just kind of check in the box, I think, I think at some point, someone that loves you, whether it's God in his word and Isaiah saying it to you or someone you love that says, look, this is hypocritical. You hypocrite. Like, don't do this. So he says, he says, Isaiah prophesied. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you. Like, good job, Isaiah. The, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart 
is far from me. And this is huge. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So he's saying, he's saying, these people, they honor me with their mouth. They're great at singing songs on a Sunday. They'll even talk about Jesus sometimes, but their hearts are so far from me. So far from me. In fact, they're so far from me that they're teaching as truth their commandments. They're, 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 they've, they've jumped ship on, the, on God's word, and they're teaching us truth. This blog post is truth. This writer is truth, and they're moving to truth. Not that there can't be anything good out of those things, but they're saying they're all truth when God's word is the truth. And they're saying you abandon ship of it, and, and they're a hypocrite. And then what he says, which is sad to me, which is because the heart behind what the Pharisees and the scribes had all these laws was that they didn't want to mess up worshiping God. But what, did, what does Isaiah say? Their worship's in vain. It's pointless. The worship is nothing because they've been going through the motions. They've been looking really good. He says it's in vain. It, it doesn't matter. It, it, he's, he's right. Isaiah was right about you. And then what Jesus does here, he says, and then he just kind of turns from the, the Pharisees and their question. It doesn't ever go back to that question, but he kind of comes back into the ceremonial cleanse, but he does it a totally different way by inviting everyone else around there. So he, he calls everyone to him in verse 15 or verses 10. It says, and he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. That is, please pay attention. This is really important what I'm about to say. Don't miss this. Jesus says this. He says, he says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. This defiles a person. So Jesus says, look, it's not what you eat, which if you know any kind of law, basically right here and a little bit sealed the deal in Acts, we're like free to eat bacon. Like, praise God, right? Like, <laughs> all right, we got bacon now. Like, it's not defiling us. So anyways, that, that was free. Um, but but the, the, he's saying, it's not what you eat. It's not what you put in your mouth that actually defiles you. That's not what's going to separate you. That's not what makes you unclean, which was a very radical thing to say because to them, this is, wait, whoa, whoa, hang on. This is how all the tradition happens. Like, everything we do was in this. For us, I was trying to think of a tradition today that we have. I mean, church is kind of it. But it's simply the statement, like, just because you go to church doesn't mean you know Jesus. Right? Like, it's the same thing. For them, like, to us, it's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But to them, this was a really big deal. Like, wait, no, no, this is how we worship God. This, if, if this stuff's in place, what do we do? And Jesus doesn't answer here. We, many years later, know the answer. We know how he, he solves this problem, Right? But he doesn't answer them. Like, hey, well, then how do we worship God? How do we do this? He just goes on. He says, it's not what goes in or out. And then I love this. The disciples come to him. And they, I, sometimes I just wish, I, like, I read sarcastic tone into the text. Obviously, that's me, not the word. But anyways, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Like, I mean, like, first off, do you know is a silly thing to say to Jesus, the guy that was walking on water, has been healing everything, he's like known their thoughts, he's talked about them, like, did you know that you offended them? Like, Jesus, that was pretty harsh. What I think this shows, other than I think it's a silly question, what I think this shows is just how much weight and clout the religious leaders had from Jerusalem, right? They saw that they were offended, so they're like, oh, no. Like, we were just feeding 5,000 people, and they were saying, crown the dude, make him king, and now the religious leaders are here from Jerusalem and they don't like it. And so they were starting to go, whoa, whoa, Jesus, like, you know, you offended them, right? Like, that was kind of harsh, Jesus. I don't know, man. Like, aren't you, I use this joke today, aren't you just the, the Jesus that just loves everyone and, and it's okay what everyone does and it doesn't really matter? And Jesus has a very specific people that he speaks very clearly to. He never sinned. He never was 
void of truth or grace, but he really wasn't worried about offending them, was he? He didn't say, oh, my, uh, did I? Oh, man, oh, shoot, sorry. Can you call him here? Guys, guys, come on. Sorry if that came across a little harsh. I was just a little zealous in my spot. Like, no, he, did, he didn't do that. And he just keeps moving. In fact, he does one further. He goes on and says, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. And then he says, let them alone. He says, look, these people, these aren't planted by my Father. They're, they aren't a part of this. It's just going to be rooted up. It's gone. Leave it be. Who cares? Let them go. Stop looking to this system. Look to me. He's like, I've already taught this. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? The whole time. I waylaid everything you understood and talked about your heart. And you're like, oh, this is hard. Right? Like, he's like, stop worrying about them. Let them, let them go. This doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, let them alone. He says, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And they're blind guides. They, they don't know where they're going. They think they do, but they've lost their way, and they're leading people that are blind as well. And that, that doesn't end well for anyone. Blind leading the blind is, is not a good thing. And he's saying, just, just let it go. Like, just, let, just let, them, let them be offended. Don't worry about it. We don't need to send them a peace offering. We don't need to do that. Like, no, let it go. It's okay. I'm not, he's like, I, we know it because he was perfect. He's not sinned against them, what he said. So it's like, no, I don't have to worry about this. Let, let them alone. They're blind, and they don't know where they're going, and they're leading other people astray. And I'm, I'm, I'm done with that. Like, I'm doing something way bigger than that. And so he goes on. He says, let them go. And then I, I feel like this follow-up question is, and I, Preston last week talked kind of about the disciples and talked about Peter and his zeal and his craziness, right? I kind of feel like this is Peter saving face with Jesus. Again, that's, that's my own version of this. But like they came up and like, hey, do you know you offended those really awesome religious leaders. Like the, the famous people were here and you offended them. And he didn't bite on that one. He was like, I don't care. Like, let them go. Like, here's why. So then Peter's like, mm, oh, Jesus, uh, explain this parable to us, please. There is no parable here. Jesus didn't say a parable. There was no parable here. He didn't actually do a parable. The only thing that could be considered a parable was this, the blind leading the blind. But Jesus doesn't even explain that. He goes on to what defiles someone. And again, if Jesus was sarcastic like me, which he isn't, but if he was sarcastic like me, he would say this next text a little bit differently. Because <laughs> for me, he goes, oh man, like you're still without understanding. Like really? Jesus does not shame or guilt, so please hear me on this. This is me, not Jesus, okay? Anyways, he's like, he's like, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? It's like, so he answers, like, wait, you, you want me to explain this parable? Okay, when you eat a piece of bread, what happens, okay? You chew it up. I made some saliva that helps that, right? You swallow it down this thing, and it goes in the intestines. Dude, those are crazy. When we were putting those together, God and I, we figured that out. It was pretty awesome how those work, right? Works the way out the colon. Oh, by the way, it comes out excrement. It's like he's answering, he's answering like, what do you mean explain it? Like food goes in, it comes out. It doesn't, it's, there's nothing to it. You just ate something and it went away. So his explanation to me is sarcastic, although he was probably gentle and loving and kind and awesome, right? And so he's like, it's just expelled. And then I think he comes into it and he says, now here's, now, now here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm doing. He goes on, he says, but, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. See, what comes out of the mouth, at first when they're thinking, what comes out of the mouth, well, obviously it's vomit or, or spit. And he's like, no, 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 no. The words that come out of your mouth come from your heart. 
they come from your heart. Now, that, that's what defiles someone. Now, let's be honest. I don't think it takes a rocket scientist for any of us to understand how many of us know the condition of our hearts by the words we say sometimes. Right? I mean, like, how many times have you stubbed a toe and you're like, oops, shouldn't have said that. Someone driving in front of you, those two C drivers, oh, man, they just get me every time. Sorry. Sorry, two C drivers. I love you. Um, we, what comes out of the heart is what defiles a person. Right? That's, that's what he's saying. Jesus is saying, it's not what you put in your mouth. It's not what you eat. It's not at all what you eat. Like, that's not the point. The point is what, what comes out of you is what's going to defile you. And this is going back to the Sermon on the Mount. He's like, it's not the law that saves you. It's me. It's not the, what you do. It's who I am and what I've done. It's not, it's not your actions. It's my action. It's, it's your heart. I want your heart. I want the center of who you are. I want everything that to be surrounded in me. Stop worrying about your doing stuff. Stop moving in, in so much fear of what you may or may not mess up. That's, I think, a lot of the, the extra laws were written in fear. Fear of man, fear of messing up. I don't want to do, if I mess up, then. And they just became the ends and the mean. Stop, he wants your heart. And so Jesus is saying, look, I, I, what defiles a person is their heart. And then he lists it, in case you're wondering. In case you're wondering what defiles a person that comes out of their heart. Let me just go ahead and tell you. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. So he goes through this list. Now he's talked about all those, and so I'm like, oh, evil thoughts, dang it. Okay, got that one. Murder, I'm good to go. Oh, wait, but if you go back to the Sermon on the Mount, my anger is like murder, so I'm not really good there either. And so what Jesus says, he says, look, the heart, this is what this comes out of the heart, guys. It's not, it's not what you say that's, that's doing it, it's where it comes from. Right? It's, it's, it's all coming out. That's what's going to defile it. And he ends it to make it really clear. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. To eat with unwashed hands, to do the ceremonial cleanse, you're not going to be defiled by that. You don't lose your opportunity to worship God because you didn't do the ceremonial cleanse. No. No. Your worship is in vain when you do it as a ritual and a tradition apart from the heart. If it's a checkbox system, I did this, I did this, I did this, okay, I can, I'm, I'm good. He says, no, it's, it's, it's not there. So he's not afraid of offending the Pharisees. He's not afraid of, of pushing on, on them at all. He's even willing to push on his disciples. And, and everyone around him, he's saying, look, guys, you can, you can work at these laws. And honestly, the laws are good. The, the intent and the motivation, they were great. It's awesome, but it's not the means. It's, it's, I was trying to think of a picture of what this would look like. And let's just, let's just say for, for the sake of, of modern day, we don't understand, but for olden days, like whenever a city was built, they put walls around it, right? Like you, you put a wall around it, you fortify the city, you protect it, okay? This is similar. Th what this is, is this is like us taking a city and building it and putting, I mean, massive walls on the outside. This big old circle around the city, right? And we're all living inside. And then the governor of the town goes, okay, we got to keep the city safe. And so he takes and he hires a bunch of guards and sets them outside the wall. And they got their back to the wall. And the wall's over here. And they're like, we're guarding. Nothing's getting in. And they're like, well, there's not a lot out here. Oh, I like to paint. And so they start making the walls look pretty. And they're like, hey, we could put some vines here. And so the whole time they're out there doctoring up the walls, protecting the walls, while inside the walls there's murder and deceit and lying and bitterness and unforgiveness and lust. And that is just eating up the inside of the city. And all the while the guards are on the outside, I got this, we look good. 
That's what we do in church. Come on, how many of you came today, had a horrible night yesterday, last night, your kids are screaming at you this morning, you look to your wife, you're like, I don't even know who you are right now. And then you came like, how you doing? Oh, everything's great. We're doing good. Yeah, love to be here. Praise Jesus. Right, like you put on a face every time you come to church. Every time you meet someone, someone says, how you're doing? You're like, oh man, I'm good. And we, we justify, this is what I do sometimes, so you can call me out on this. I'm just, good, just really busy. What I'm saying is I'm not really good, but if I say I'm busy, at least I'm productive, right? So we, we hide behind these walls. We build these walls up, and the entire time Jesus is saying, you can build as tall a wall as you want. Nothing's coming in. It's all inside that's the issue. We got all that stuff going on in there. It's, it's like you've built it like crazy. I feel like for us today, most of us don't really struggle with these traditional rituals. In fact, I would say that the opposite is true, is most of us have run so far from tradition and ritual that we're this city with no walls. Right? We're just like, ah, we're free in Jesus, don't need to do anything, don't care. He'll just, he's, I know what his word says, but grace is there, it's cool. And we just kind of, we're these like, we just use this grace as some like currency that just never runs out, which in, in essence is true because it's extended to us and it's lavished on us. But we just keep going in our actions saying, it's okay. It's okay, he'll forgive me. I know what he says I should do with this woman, but I, you know, it's okay. It's okay, I understand. It, I just got drunk again. It's, it's cool, he forgives me. And you're right, he does. He forgives over and over and over again. But you're living as if it's like, who cares? And so we've run from the rituals. This is where I think the Pharisees had it right. There's, there's something to be said about being specific about the ceremonial stuff that you did to approach worshiping God. The problem is, is it, it got in the way. Motivation was right, but it got in the way. So it's not a fortified city. In fact, Proverbs tells us that a city without a, without a wall will fall. So it's not this incessant, like, oh, man, everything's over here or there. It's not lack of obedience, but it's not abused grace. It's not legalistic. It's the other. I wrote it in my notes. As I said, God does his best work in us when we are obedient to him. God does his best work in us when we're in a spot of obedience to him. It's... it's, it's it's, 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 I will engage in these traditions and these rituals because I know that they're going to point me back to him and they're for his purpose and for his good and for his work. It's not running from him. See, so many of us are the other side. Where we're like, man, we got this, these walls. Man, I look good on the outside. I can check every box. You know, with Eric, like, I could have checked all the boxes. I had a list of reasons why I was holy. That sounds horrible now, obviously, right? But I, I had them. I'm like, man, I did it. I, the, the, everything, I was doing those things, I was doing those things, and I was just blatant disregard to the God's word in so many areas of my life. I'm so, so grateful that he said that to me. One of the things about Eric, and this is, this is why I think this is such a big deal, is, is that if we continue to perpetuate this hypocrisy, this, this fakeness where we put these walls up, you know, or we, we are on the other side where there's just no boundaries. Like, ah, God's word is, you know, it's, it's fallible and mess up, so whatever. Like, we'll figure it out. If we keep pushing that way, what ends up happening is, is, is God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven is totally messed up, right? And they start seeing a picture of the wrong thing. Eric, 10 years later, we're, he's, a, he's my realtor and we're helping. He's helping us buy a house and, and we've been in contact. 10 years later, we're, we're getting ready to buy a house and he calls me out of nowhere in tears. And this is a, I mean, a stone cold dude calls me out of tears and he says, Bren, you got a second? I'm like, yeah, what's going on? Like, I assumed it was about our house or something that we were in process with. He's like, something terrible's happened. My, my nephew just got in a motorcycle accident and his passenger's dead and he's in a coma. Would you pray for him? And I was like, 
taken back and he's and I was silent and I think he maybe he was thought I was offended or whatever. He's like, You're the only person I know that would actually pray for him. And I don't know what else to do, but I'm so scared. Would you pray for him? He's like, Yeah, I totally will. And we, he was bawling, we're both bawling, and I'm like, ten years. Ten years fifteen years. I don't even know how old I am, right? Fifteen years. <laughs> And he's, he's, he's asking me to pray for his nephew. He's never come to church. He's not doing anything, but he has the, the, the willingness to see something in me. And I would say it's not because I am awesome. In fact, that awesome left at 21, right? What I realized is that along the way, I didn't need to pretend. I didn't need to be fake. I could just be who God created to me, me to be and let him shine through me. And that gave him enough confidence in me to ask me to pray for him. That's a, that's a, that's a big win. That's a big thing. And honestly, you know what? I said this is the first service. I don't think it was for Eric. I think it was for me. I think God used that to say, Bren, 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 I, look, look what I'm doing. Look what I'm doing in you. And it was a moment where I went, oh, God, thank you for so long. I just ran from hypocrisy thinking like, I don't want to be that guy. And he's like, no, 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 stop, stop. I'm doing a work in you. I'm the author and the perfecter of your faith. Let me, let me just keep going. And so I feel like that call from Eric was more for me than it had anything to do with Eric. His nephew, by the way, is walking and, and, and great, which is amazing. Praise God. But he, um, he asked me to pray for him. And some of you right now, you're, 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 you're so full of this, this darkness, and you're spending all your energy, strength, time, and effort to uphold these walls that are pointless. They're pointless. And you just keep going back, well, I know what God's word says, but I know what you're asking me, God, but I'm the exception. I also think it's worth saying this, is that I do believe that there are things that can happen to the outside of us that affect our heart. And I just want to use one of them as an example. Like, not what we eat. Eat your bacon. Enjoy it. It's fun, right? Okay. But there are things that you and I can do that affect our heart. Pornography is on a ridiculous climb. It won't stop climbing, both in, in women and men. And I would even use the example of certain shows or anything else that we watch, like this, this nudity and these things. That affects your heart. It affects your heart. Don't, I mean, don't pretend. Oh, no, no, I just, I, I just you know, it doesn't bother me. It's totally, that stuff affects your heart. You don't, you don't take that stuff in. It does affect your heart. Now, it's what comes out of you that's going to cause the defilement. It's what it does inside of you that when it comes out, that's, ooh, watch out there. But, but stop pretending that you're not affected by the things around you. That's that, that's that pendulum swung so far where it's like, we don't need the rituals, we don't need the church, we don't need the community, we don't need any of that. I'll just be my free solo person and I can do whatever I want. It's like, no. That's, that's not going to work that way either. So, so whether you're a, a fortified city with a black hole spot in one part of your town, like that, you got your, you got your garden city. No offense to garden city, right? Um, you got your garden city. Man, I am horrible today. Um, I love the Treasure Valley and all people in it. Okay. Um, you have your little black spot in your, in your heart. And maybe for you, it's just one area. And, and maybe there are gates in your walls. But instead of, you're like, man, but if I go there, I'm going to have to talk to this person or this person. Or, man, it's going to be really hard. And the consequences may last for years. And you're just kind of going, but if I do that, like, there's so many good reasons not to do it. I'm just going to make this wall prettier. And what you're doing is you're, you're, just, you're just basically hollowing yourself out saying, the wall's pretty. I look put together, everything's okay. It's not what Jesus is after. He's after your heart. And what's slightly comical about that when we do that is it's not like he's confused by that. 
It's not like he's going, man, Brent, that is a really tall wall. What's behind it? What, what are you hiding over there? I can't, I don't, I can't see there. You, you, I mean, man, I'm distracted by that mural. Great painting, Brent. It's not, he's not confused by that. He knows that. He's like, hey, what are you doing, Brent? Why, why are you holding on to that? Oh, yeah, yeah good, good job. You gave money. Good job. Let's not, let's not come about it. Let's go to your heart here. Why, why are you doing that? Why are you so concerned about what others are going to think? Why are you so concerned about your rituals and your tradition? When I'm going, I want your heart. In fact, I went to great lengths to give you away so that I can have your heart. Don't you remember? Like, I went to the cross. I, I, I took all that sin that's hanging out in that city. I took that and I paid for that on the cross. Why do you keep running back to it? Why do you keep chasing that stuff? Why do you keep letting this baggage back here hold you in this spot and pretend all along? You can do Bible study after Bible study, go to church, check every box, but until you surrender this to me, it's still there. You're still that person that, man, you look good and a lot of people are gonna high five you, but your Lord and your Savior that knit you together in your mother's womb, that created you and says, I know what I wanna do with you. I have, my, my plans are amazing and they're gonna bring so much glory to me through you and it's gonna be incredible and you're not gonna be able to say anything about it. You're gonna be like, well, I don't know what happened. It was just you, God. And it's, exactly. You say, I, I know what I'm doing, so, so, so stop hiding. Stop worrying about the rituals. Stop checking the box. Start doing it the way I've called you to do, the way I created you to do it. The band's gonna come up and we're gonna continue to worship. Jesus doesn't answer the accusation. He doesn't even give us an answer, really, on this. He just says, hey, look, it's your heart that's the issue. Look, just if you're wondering, just in case you're wondering, like a ceremonial cleanse, yeah. I mean, yeah, wash your hands. It's kind of dirty. It's gross. It's great. But this whole ceremonial cleansing thing, this whole, this extra laws, these extra works you're doing, hey, 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 you know what? You keep coming to church. Good job. You're serving in the kids' ministry. Awesome. You even, you know, you have your little Bible app. You open it every now and then. Like, you, you, you know what? You listen to Christian radio every now and then. Like, yeah good job. Like, it's awesome. That's all great stuff. But that's not it. I want your heart. And watch what happens when I have your heart and that stuff comes into it. You can actually be a cheerful giver when he has your heart. That makes sense? Like, you can, actually, you can actually do more when you understand what it means to be still with him. And it's not out of your strength. It's out of his strength. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace for hypocrites like me, that you weren't done with me in my 20s when, you, when I definitely deserved it. It's amazing. God, that you're not done with me now is, is, is just another evidence of your grace being poured out. So God, I pray for everyone in the room, whether they're a fortified city with a big black hole in the middle, God, I pray that you would just, whether it needs to be gently or, or abruptly, just break those walls down. God, rebuild them um, on the foundation of you and your word. God, for those of us in the room that, that hold blogs or writers to more holy than your word, forgive us for that. That help us to see that as a, as a tool, as, an, as, as a way to help understand things. But God, may we always be drawn back to your word. May your word be written on our hearts. May it lamp, be a lamp to our feet, Lord. And Father, for, for those in, in the room that, that are at this spot where like, I just, I'm just done. I'm done pretending. I'm exhausted. I don't know what I'm going to do. It's going to be so hard. My spouse is going to hear this. My family member is going to hear this. The, the church is going to think this. I'm going to lose these friends. God, where the fear starts coming in of those consequences, God, would you remind them that it is you who brings peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. So I pray that it would be cast out on you, God. 
I pray that we would be able to walk in the freedom you intended us to walk in and that we would never run in that freedom so far out of obedience, God, or out of disobedience. We would run into it with obedience by your spirit leading us step by step. So God, as we, as we sing, may we not sing as um, something that we do to just check a box. May we sing as a, as a heart that is worshiping a God that's extended this grace to us even though we didn't deserve it. A God that, that continues to say, I'm going to do more and more in you and through you for my glory. Will you give me your heart? I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.